When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hi, my name is John Bleasdale. Uh, I'm a writer and film critic. John, welcome. We're doing short film reviews from what we've been seeing. You've been on the show before. Everyone recognizes you, of course. You are writer, critic, host of Writers Writers on on Film, film, of course. The only podcast dedicated to books on cinema. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent podcast. You get everyone. Plus, you're writing a book on Terrence Malick, which we talked about last time. We are in Venice. Pop Culture Confidential is in Venice. And we have just seen Noah Baumbach's White Noise based on Don Danilo's novel that everyone said was unfilmable. Was it? No, not at all. And it's a really ingenious adaptation because what he's done is Don Danilo talks in uh, the language of cliché. And, and he, his, his prose is full of this brilliant dialogue, brilliant sentences, which are, are just resetting cliché in a really interesting, fascinating way. And any adaptation of a literary work, the real danger is you get stuck in the quicksand of sort of verbal, you know, trying to reproduce the verbal rhythms and whatnot of the prose. But what Baumbach does excellently is actually he takes the films from the 1980s, especially Steven Spielberg, and uses those cliches instead. And the film language of this film is entirely cliched, entirely self-aware, and entirely brilliant. It's really, it's a really superb uh, postmodern film uh, in the best possible way of, of saying that. Yeah, you know. from beginning to end, I was just taken from the first five minutes. As you're saying, he goes on all the... I know you hate the word tropes, but I'm going <laughs> to use it anyway. <laughs> no, but they're not tropes. But they're cliches. Yeah, That's they're the point. Cli- Tropes is like, a, uh, is, is like a polite way of saying cliché. Mm. Let's say cliché. But he has all the characters from the 80s, but he uses them so much more interestingly than all the amazing amount of 80s series we've seen this past few years from Stranger Things and on. The 80s have been a, a bit of a used metaphor. And cliches from film as well. Characters like the woman in Airplane. Mm-hmm. We have several scenes that look just like E.T. Spielberg's Absolutely. camera moves going up. We have the scared family. But he also uses a whole bunch of things just about society in general. I mean, lots of scenes that take place in a huge supermarket. And these very meta dialogue in the supermarket next to the Cheerios and the Milk Duds. And it's so interesting and it gets you thinking. I remember you were worried about the 
Hitler professor character mm. that Adam Driver plays, and it just works incredibly oh, here. Amazingly, I mean, there's a, there's a brilliant scene talking again of sort of cliches. There's a brilliant uh, film never gets college right, never gets university no. right. You always have like Mark Wahlberg as a professor uh, in The Gambler, for instance, in which Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> oh, um, and it's always sort of like you tune into somebody. You know, every chemistry class begins with someone saying, "What is chemistry? Mm -hmm. It is the basic building blocks of reality." And he's like, oh, no, I've been to chemistry class. Nobody talks like that. So you have this brilliant uh, lecture that Adam Driver gives to help Don Cheadle, who's trying to do for Elvis what he's done for Hitler. He actually <laughs> says, Elvis is my Hitler, which yeah. is a brilliant, one of the million brilliant lines in this film. This is film. the Elvis biopic of the year. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> I love kidding. it. I did love yeah, Elvis. I did so. too. But, but uh, it's a, it adds on to that film. Yeah, it has so many throwaway, throwaway lines about Elvis. And they do this lecture together, which is like a complete performance in which Adam Driver is castigating the crowds at the Nuremberg rally, but replicating exactly that sort of charisma which uh, which which he, he sees as the root of sort of Hitler's attraction. So it, it, this film does this again and again and again where it presents a cliche and yet it, uh, and it undermines it, but at the same time promotes it. I, Give you another example. Mm. There's a brilliant uh, sort of uh, a moment where they all have to evacuate the airborne event, which is a sort of machina, uh, Dussex machina of the of the it's film element that drives the narrative and every family that uh, evacuates has to reverse into their bins to leave yeah. because not because that's what they actually do but because that is cinematic it's language for fleeing yeah. exactly at the end when you, the car has gone all the way through on the road all the bins are cracked from the entire every exactly driveway. every single one yeah. has <laughs> almost like before you know you unlock your door you lock your door you smash the uh, the bins and and you're away into the sort of traffic jam <laughs> And there's another scene where Adam Driver wonderfully sort of um, makes his way through a terrible crowd of panic, and then the daughter loses her bunny, and he has to go back for it. And it's just like, it's War of the Worlds, it's Spielberg, it's, it's that cliche, what the hell does he have to go back for the yeah, cuddly toy? Yeah. But I've seen it a hundred times in a films and he does it brilliantly he's absolutely you know there's indiana jones and the temple of doom in there there's there's a a, a a car goes into a river and one of the family members says oh i hope there's not a waterfall and yeah. you just immediately go oh, oh right okay they've seen the <laughs> yeah, movies yeah. <laughs> you know they've seen the same movie it's and super talking about the performances adam driver is just magnificent i oh, have to absolutely. say in this one he has a pot belly these dark sunglasses. Yeah, I don't know if he's wearing Thor's fat suit or, yeah. he actually, or he's done a De Niro for this mm. one. It's a very difficult part because he is at the same time playing, as you say, the cliche as he is playing a real feeling person whose family is sort of a mystery around him. But this is the core of what, what, what postmodernism yeah, at its best is is this kind of romantic irony, this kind of kidding, not kidding. And it is a comedy, again, at its best, not all postmodernism does this, but at its best, it's a comedy that doesn't diminish the seriousness of the situation or the characters. Mm -hmm. So I never felt that I was looking down on Greta Gerwig as Babette, mm. even though she has a ridiculous name. And uh, you know, and the '80s hair, the, the wig, which Don like Cheadle, which Don Cheadle uh, <laughs> says your wife has important hair, hair. Yeah. and that's just like again, and and I would also underline Don Cheadle. Every the roots of characters here, the professors in the college, and the children, the children, the uh, conversations Rafi they Cassidy, have in the car. 
um, uh, Sam Nivola, who who play the sort of more grown up mm -hmm. children, the sort of kidults who uh, who really are more adult than their parents, which is again such a cliche slash trope, trope. if you wish. <laughs> um, they're superb. You know, it's this real, um, as you say, there is a warmth to it. Uh, there's not. It's not. I didn't not care. I didn't laugh at these people. I laughed very much with them, and I felt their concerns. Even though this is set in the 1980s, this could be about the airborne toxic event. Could be 9/11. Oh, yeah. It could be COVID, COVID. It could be the war in Ukraine. It could be the looming environmental crisis. Could be any of these things, and how these these things are normal normalised by language. The the toxic event itself that name is in itself you know uh, an attempt an unsuccessful one to contain the danger and render it normal i'm bruce martin host of pit pass indy each week i go behind the scenes of the ntt indycar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of indycar which features the indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event the men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. There's a great line when the daughter looks into another car and she sort of t tells the father, they don't seem very scared in there. And he says, well, what do you, what does it matter to you what, how people are feeling? Well, I want to know if, how scared I should be, which is certainly a COVID thing. We were all waiting. How bad is this? What should we do? And who are we going to ask? Which country is doing this in the right way? And all those things were ingenious. And isn't this Noah Baumbach's most visual film as oh, well? Oh, it's superb. And the color, the color scheme. Well, I mean, you have all that Spielbergian pastiche, mm -hmm. the, you know, the emergency vehicles, flashing lights, rain-wet tarmac, night, uh, the torch lights. The Jurassic Park camera going from down below, up above. The and God's get, view yes, of the God's actual event. Yeah. You know, absolutely superb. Really, really good. But also there was, as you mentioned, in terms of, like, the normal life, the cluttered household, the orange, there was a lot of orange orange and yellow and red mm -hmm. in, in the supermarket, for instance. It was a really beautifully shot film, really colorful, and it's kind of a damn shame this is gonna be on Netflix, because I, I would love to sit in a cinema of like punters mm -hmm. and watch this and see how they react, because I think this is a film that would, um, would surprise a lot of people. The visuals are never static either. All no. of a sudden, you're, he's giving his speech, the one you were mentioning, Adam mm. Driver, and all of a sudden it's the like camera's in. Yeah, yeah, and all of a sudden the camera's mm. in the left, and then it's mm. to the right, and then the professors come in, and then you have some archival material, and all of a sudden he looks like some big eagle at the center yeah, of it, and yeah. rises a up crow slowly. Of death, yes, you know. a crow, and then starts coming. And, it has a tempo that for me in, in Noah Baumbach's film hasn't been something that that hasn't been something that has been the big deal for me going to Baumbach movies. No, absolutely. <laughs> we go, what do we go for? We go for sort of verbal comedy and yeah. uh, sort of a wry slightly smug glance at modern life. This, I, I mean, there's lots of things that feel there, is, there are smug people in, the, in this film. Yeah, well, I don't <laughs> think the film itself is smug. No. 
I think, as you were saying, that everything is packed. There are so many things. The television is always on in the background. The the PA at the supermarket is saying things which are hilarious. The the, the supermarket shelves, the way they're stocked, just there are overlapping dialogue. Someone's singing a song about what's happening in the film at some point. Just there's just so much to it. It's so rich. I was so. It sounds like a backhanded compliment. I was so unbored by. I spent the whole film not even thinking about my phone in my pocket or not even thinking. So it, it kind of, for the space of two hours, it defeated it, its own postmodern context yeah. in which it has to survive. You used the word smug, which I think is a word that people who don't like Noah Baumbach's that's the feeling that he gives them. I think this is the complete opposite. So go mm. see it and you'll see that it's, you know, something completely different because I don't find it smug at all. And it's cerebral, but in such a funny, interesting way. Yeah. I mean, the dialogue between Babette and, um, what's Adam Driver's character's name? He's called Jack Gladney. Jack, right. And his initials are J-A-K. Yeah. So he's Jack, Jack, whichever way you want to yeah. pronounce it. <laughs> The dialogue between Jack and Babette can seem a bit sort of theatrical and stilted, but it's so interesting and it moves so seamlessly. It took me like five minutes at the very beginning of the movie to sort of get my ear. Yeah, is this theater? Is yeah. this something is else? This I felt David the same way. These are obviously lines of written dialogue, but these are people who speak in paragraphs. Mm -hmm. They're people who, who are, you know, intellectual in terms of Adam Driver and, and well and in terms of Babette as well you know but, you know what I was thinking mm. is that the same way that he's using Spielberg and he's using those cliches he's using cliches of his own movies oh right and yeah. the dialogue yeah. yeah no there was so much there's absolutely even down to the music Danny Elfman does a score mm -hmm. and it perfectly sort of lampoons and pastiches but again without while at the same time doing that thing you know this is thriller music but it's thrilling this is suspense music and i'm kind of dense mm. you know so it's that thing of of you know just because you're doing something and you knowingly fictional using a knowingly fictional uh structure it doesn't mean you're not taking it seriously far from it mm. like by admitting it you you show you're being more serious right. if anything and else don't miss the credits oh, the credits my, are fantastic yeah, yeah absolutely i mean it was a bit of me that almost thought wow what they could have even put this at the front of the movie yes. but it, yeah this well, is one of the didn't. oh this is one of the most joyful it reminds me of uh beat the keshi's like talkie or mm -hmm. or um some dog millionaire just suddenly bursting with life right. uh, but whereas with both those films I thought, thought there was a brilliant you know it was a brilliant moment in otherwise fairly yeah. ordinary movies in this case it was uh, it, it was absolutely in keeping with the film right. and just elevated it to yet another level I won't say too much but it is it's in this sort of fake very contrived very brightly colored supermarket which is sort of I think represents so much of the movie yeah. where we spend our time talking to each other amongst these products. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And that's kind of that's kind of where that's the one of the, over, the overarching ironies of the whole film is the fact that it's going to end up on Netflix, which is very much the supermarket cinema. It's very much that brightly coloured interface where we stroll the aisles mm -hmm. and we pick something, and if we don't, if we're too undecided, then the supermarket itself will pick it for us. You know. Mm -hmm. How do you think that audiences today, I mean, who like the movie, will will take from it? What does it mean in 2022, this Don DeLillo story made this way? 
Well, to me, it felt entire, really, really contemporary and really, really interesting. I wish it was on a theatre. I wish it was in a cinema because it deserves to have those conversations. You, you want to talk in the foyer with people about mm -hmm. this. You want to go to a cafe. You don't want to watch it in the privacy of your own home. You and then have, have to talk no on Twitter, John. You have to course, and, and, and who knows, that is probably the highest form of intellectual conversation we have these days. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I do like I do have nostalgia for that uh, for that that and this is Netflix is in Venice in a big way as ever, but um, it is that that's weird disconnect that Venice is very much a film festival. It's about the theatrical experience, and here we are watching TV. I'm about to go and see a Lars von Trier TV program yeah. now. <laughs> so, you know. But besides the cinematic experience, which I agree with, in terms of this story that Dom DeLillo wrote that everyone says was completely unfilmable, how do you think this is relevant today? I, that's, I mean, I think it's definitely relevant. Just it, it, it seems it's much more about now than, than its 1985 setting sort of suggests. So I, I found it totally relevant. In terms of general audiences, I hesitate because I don't know how big Don DeLillo is, as a, how, how much cultural cachet he has, how recognisable. He's not a name, I think, that necessarily conjures much for, for you know, I mean, unless you're a Don DeLillo reader, mm -hmm. it's not a name you necessarily know, you know? Uh, maybe not in the way, say, Cormac McCarthy is. Um, but... Uh, he's one of my favourite American, contemporary American authors. Um, and I just think a lot of people will come to this because of Adam Driver, frankly. And I think a lot of people will stay and watch a really good movie because it's great to have... Adam Driver is this phenomenal thing, which is a character actor who's doing leads yeah. and he's leading movies. And He's one the, of the best we have. He's absolutely. so good. He can look like, you know a bit of a middle-aged slob, a mm. bit of a, sl a slouch, you know. Uh, or he can be gorgeous. And he can be gorgeous, <laughs> I am told. Yes. By people. <laughs> I that, assure it is you. confirmed. <laughs> I'd just like to add to that that I think that it was so brilliant and I'm so incredibly pleased by the choices that Noah Baumbach made because mm. I think that this thing, this that's been carrying on at this book can't be made he made just some incredible choices all yeah. these things you're talking about about using movie cliches from the 80s and forward and just these huge philosophical questions in in this way that he's done and i think he just did that brilliantly it makes me so happy that he you know went in that direction I, yeah i know it's not necessarily a name to conjure with mm. but um this reminded me of the great Woody Allen films of the 70s. I know it's a comparison Baumbach has had some of an anxiety of influence in having a sort of struggle against. But this, for me, was his most successful in terms of aim rather than style mm -hmm. or anything like that. That this felt like Annie Hall in its, in its ability to be very funny, all about death as well, mm -hmm. you know. Big, big, big questions. Exactly. Yeah. And, and whereas with Woody Allen, sometimes I feel that that's a little bit fake. Mm -hmm. Here, I, th I think it's absolutely, um, absolutely f thought out and felt. And this is, you know, I mean, dare we say it? He's a, he, this is a real intellectual thinking piece of work mm -hmm. as well as a brilliant comedy and a brilliant and pastiche of Hollywood, yeah. you know, of Hollywood movies, I should say. Well, what a start to the festival. I have a feeling that it's uh, going to be downhill uh, from you. No, I don't. I, don't. I no. was, I think that when I was on your show last, mm -hmm. I was sort of saying, well, you know, we've done it in the past where we've had this list of really, uh, and then you'd sort of take them off as they're sort of okay or three-star mm -hmm. mediocre, not even mediocre, good, but not great. If, 
if any if of the, the film, standard, if this, yeah. yeah, if this is the because uh, often as well, Oof. opening films are not are, are usually not necessarily great. I mean, we've had some crackers at. Uh, in Venice recently we've had La La Land and Gravity and well not so recently uh, Birdman you know we've had to, but you know so often it's a, a bit of a thankless slot mm. so um, yeah so I'm, I'm I'm revved up now well great well we have a, more than a week to go so we'll yeah. see what happens thank you so much for this quickie here thank you Christina thank Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. 